Fab, good to see you all. Good to see if you're watching online as well. Um, so you will know if you were here last week um, that we're starting just a short sort of four-week um, long series, um, kind of looking at this question of like, who are we as a church? Like, where are we going? We've been in this process of discerning, like, you know, who, who is it that God has made us to be and is calling us deeper into? Um, and I, basically, over the next few weeks, going to share some of what we think that means. Um, I'd really encourage you, if you missed last week, um, you might not normally do this, um, make an exception this time because it'll be worth it. Um, go back and catch up um, because otherwise um, it's a bit like kind of reading a book from a couple of chapters in. You'll be like, what? I don't understand. Um, there'll be bits of the jigsaw that are kind of missing. So do encourage you, you can catch that online, YouTube, the podcast, um, it's on Spotify. Um, go back and listen again. Um, but last week we were talking about kind of... what. You know, we, we've got something which we're calling our mission mandate, and it's just a short statement that kind of we feel expresses something of what God, who God has called and made us to be. Stephen, do you, do you want to put that up? I think, oh, amazing. Is that the next slide? I thought it wasn't. Oh, you, it's not. Great. You've just skipped ahead. I thought I'd stuff the ordering. We've expressed it like this, inviting and equipping people to be apprentices of Jesus. Like, being an apprentice of Jesus, you know, we said last week, it's, it's is people who are like seeking to kind of center their entire life around him. Through being with Jesus, we become like Jesus. Through becoming like Jesus, we start to do the kind of things that Jesus would do in the world if he were us. And from that, like being formed by him, because this is about what he does in us, um, we become, um, we want to be a visible presence of renewal where he has placed us. You know, a beacon of hope, a beacon of light. Um, You know, a people where, that people look at us and they kind of see the things that God cares for. They kind of see the kind of world that God is wanting to create because we're trying to live that out in the now. Um, And it's where he's placed us because he has a calling on all of us, regardless of where we are. We've got a calling to be a presence of renewal in this place of Redland. But, you know, we are scattered across the city, across the area, you know, in places of work, in homes, um, in streets, in friendship circles. And God wants to use us in those places to be a blessing. He wants to use us in those places to kind of shine his light. And he will if we will let him transform us and shape us into the kind of people that are that visible presence of renewal. Um, I want to speak today and again next week. We're going to do three this week, three the next, um, on the question of values. Values really matter. Like the things you value in life tend to like direct the things you live towards. If you really value like making a lot of money, you're going to put a lot of time into your job and furthering yourself within that. You know, that's going to affect the way you do your job, the kind of jobs you're going to give yourself to. You know, if you really value, I don't know, um, you know, your children and like being a really good parent, that will again affect the kind of way you spend your time. You're going to try and bias your time to be with your children. Values matter because values direct action. And when we talk about values, what, what we're not doing is we're not talking about like doctrine. We're not like writing a kind of thesis of what the church is. So there's lots of things that aren't in here, not because we don't value them. Of course we do. Um, you know, but they're things that like every church values. Um, and so we're not stating them here, not because we don't value them, but because um, we're trying to do something else. So we're not saying, oh, we value worship and the Bible and the cross and you know, coming to the building. Like, of course we value all those things. They're not values because what we're trying to do in our values is is capture what kind of we feel is uniquely essential to us in this place. That you might be able to say about other churches, but you can't say about every church that we're trying to own because we think it's essential for us in kind of like moving forward in the mission that God's called us in. And we're naming it to help us kind of um, hold on to it, drive further into it and um, stay accountable to it. 
So three this week, three the next. I want to begin by reading a scripture. Um, If you've got a Bible, um, grab one, follow along. We're in John, um, which is one of the biographies about Jesus' life. It's near the back of the Bible, chapter 15, but it will come up on the screen if you haven't got one. He says that in faith. I come over there. Oh, did it? Um, let me have a look. I'm try that. Tell you what. Save. It's lovely when the tech works, isn't it? Try that now. I'll um, I'll read. We can listen. You know, it's interesting. Like, um, I don't know if you ever stopped to think about this, but the Bible, for like a long time, was purely an oral document. Like, and so what we, you know, when we when we listened to it, that was the way in which people like transmitted it, heard it. You know, and they lived in a culture where that was just kind of normative. Um, You know, you you learn things by listening and repeating, listening and repeating. And people would know this stuff by heart simply because they kept hearing it again and again and again and again and again. And it basically got written down so it wouldn't get forgotten. So Jesus' teaching in John 15, um, which may never appear on the screen, um, and he says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. He goes on. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. 
love each other. Jesus is teaching, and um, this is a passage which we've come back to a number of times as a church, because I think it's a really foundational one, particularly for us at this time. Um, And I kind of want to begin by sharing our first value, for which there is a beautiful slide which you can't see, but um, I will attempt to remember. Um, Our first value as a church, and and the first two values we really regard, actually, I think the most important. The rest you can kind of put in whatever order you fancy, but the first two are foundational, and the first is this. It's being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. Like, what does Jesus say in this passage? He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. The word remains a bit naff, really. It kind of makes it sound like you're just staying somewhere, kind of like stationary. Um, it, it makes it sound like you're kind of just lingering around or, or you're, you, you know, you're kind of staying, believing in something. Or Older translations use the word abide, but it, abide's not really a word we use outside of like Downton Abbey. Um, and so it's not very helpful, but I really love the way in which um, there's a commentary writer, Frederick Dale Bruner, translates this. And he, he puts it like this. He says, uh, and I think this really captures what Jesus is saying here. He translates it as, make your home in me, as I also make my home in you. There's something so powerful about that. I know this isn't true for all of us, but home is such a powerful metaphor because home is the place of belonging. Home is the place we come to at the end of the day. Home is the place in which we have our rest. Home is the place in which we spend a large majority of our time. It's the place where we sleep. It's the place where we dwell. It's the place where we do family. It's the place we invite others into and practice hospitality. And Jesus here is saying, make your home in me. Like, There's no other word really to, to capture the kind of invitation of Jesus and the kind of relationship that he wants to kind of have with us than, than intimacy. Jesus wants a relationship which, ha- which is an intimate one, a close one. You know, later in this passage, he goes on, he, he says, I don't call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. You know, Jesus desires a relationship with us that is relational, that is proximate, that we are close, where we know him, not just as a concept to believe in or some truths to kind of consent to, but as a God who's actually with us, who actually cares about us, who's actually close to us, who's present with us. And it's with being with him, increasingly centering our lives around becoming aware of him with us, that we become the people we're made to be. You know, in in the language of John 15 here, we bear fruit, we become more fully alive. Like Jesus, you know, earlier in this this kind of um, gospel, John, you know, says, I've come to bring life and life in all its fullness. The life of Jesus is not something that's kind of dispensed like a product from a vending machine. It's something that is experienced in the reality of relationship and closeness to him. It's through being with him that we experience the goodness of him. It's through being with him that we experience his promises. It's through being with him that we become who we are meant to be as individuals and as a church. It's through being with Jesus that we know God, that we know the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Being with Jesus is our center. And for us as a church, uh, like, it's something we really want to do. And this is a value, right? This isn't an activity, the difference between a value and an activity is a value is, is more about the way in which you do everything rather than something you do. So I'm not just talking here about like Sundays or times of prayer. I'm talking about this being a way in which we 
you know, increasingly try to centre our lives as a church, as a you know, group of people, and as a church, as individuals who live out there around, that we seek to be aware of Jesus with us as we're at work, as we're at home parenting the kids, as we're with our friends, as we're on the school gate, as we're you know, serving the poor, as we're, you know, this isn't something we do and then we go do other things. This is the way in which we do all things. We centre everything around trying to be with Jesus, become aware of his presence that never leaves us, his voice that is always speaking to us, his love that is ever pouring out on us. You know, it's why we, you know, our, our times together, we give time and space just to kind of like, well, there's not really much of an agenda, like no one's speaking, like where we, it, it's not you don't meet with Jesus in other parts of the service, but where there's just literally just space where that's the only purpose. We're just literally right now just seeking to meet with him and be with him. It's our center. It's so easy though for that to be something we skim on for that to be something we walk past, for that to be something we kind of get over to move on to other things. But unless that is our core value, nothing else will work. Nothing else will happen because the fruit comes from being with him. It doesn't come from us being clever or coming up with clever, good plans. The power of the church is that we are the people of Jesus. So our first value is being with Jesus, which leads me nicely onto our second value, which is this. Deep formation. Deep formation. I'll explain what I mean. So Jesus here is teaching. He says, I'm the vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Um, I don't know if you're a keen gardener, but um, I'm not. But I do know this. Um, pruning causes things to grow more. Like if I could be bothered to go into my back garden and prune the roses, they will go boof and bloom ever more like come uh, the next season. Like pruning causes fruit to come in increased abundance. And Jesus uses this like, metaphor of pruning here to talk about the kind of dynamic that he wants us to be in with him. He wants to prune us. What does that mean? Well, it means that he wants to chop bits off. Why? So that good stuff can grow. We all know that we're not perfect. Like, you know, we can be selfish and prideful and egotistical and you know, self-interested. We can be grumpy and, and we can be really anxious and fearful. And, and Jesus wants to, in his kindness, in his love, prune us. Chop some of those bits off such that new life can grow, such that peace can grow in our life. Love, joy, patience, self-control. And why does he do that? He, he does that so that we can become people who are an increased blessing to those around us. You know, there's a reality, isn't there, that... Um, you only ever offer yourself in any situation you're in in life. Like whatever you're doing, whoever you're speaking to, you can only bring yourself. You can't bring anything more than yourself. You can maybe put on a bit of a performance for a while, but it, it shines through. You know, you only ever bring yourself. You only ever bring the patience that you have, the love that you have. You can't transcend that. You know, if you're not particularly patient, probably what will happen is put in the right situation. That impatience w will shine through. And like, I am forever trying to kid myself that that's not my fault. Do you, I don't know if you find yourself doing this. Like, I'll be grumpy with Katie 
I'd like to pretend it was an occasional thing, but it happens more often than I care to admit. But I'll be grumpy with Katie, and she'll be like, you're being really grumpy. And I'll be like, I'm not. She'll be like, you are being really grumpy. And I'll be like, fine, I am. But it's only because you said this, or it's only because this happened over there, or this person's annoying me, or, you know, in other words, it's not really because of me, it's because of factors that are beyond my control. That's why I'm being grumpy, or that's why I've snapped, or that's why I've just been really reactive, or, 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 or really kind of just bitten your head off. Like, that's why I've done it. Blame something else. But, but the truth is that, really, that's, I've just been grumpy because that's what's within me. And it's just spilt out. And Jesus wants to transform us, to be people who are like him. You see Jesus, and he's got people in his face. They're like getting aggro with him, and they're they're challenging him, and he's just so calm and content. There's things happen that, like, you know, he is not okay with, but he's not, like, really offended. You know, he doesn't get like that. He doesn't get so worked up, and again, he's a person who's at peace. You know, he finds himself in situations where, like, life really sucks, and yet there seems to be this like, joy that's within him that, that, that kind of goes against his circumstances. And like, this is the kind of thing that God wants to bring about in us. And he does this for two reasons. He does this for our good. God wants to bless us. He wants us to be filled with the fullness of life. But he also wants us to become you know, a living embodiment of what he's like in the world. You know, in the language of our mission mandate, a visible presence of renewal in this world. He wants to take us and make us people who are more like him, kinder, more loving, more caring, more compassionate, more patient, more self-controlled. He wants to transform us to be more of the people that we are created to be by him. And he does that by chipping the bad stuff off. But the clue's kind of in the title, right? Pruning, you know, deep formation is painful, It's painful, and so I think we often avoid it. God wants to confront us with, you know, some of the stuff in us that's not good. And he wants to do that because he loves us, because he wants to help us change that. But has anybody ever been delighted with being confronted with something in them that they don't like? You know, we don't want to see ourselves in a negative way. We just want to see the good stuff. And so we very easily just construct these narratives around us of everything's okay. And we, do, we, we kind of stop ourselves from hearing anything that's contrary to that. And so this practice of deep formation is hard because it's painful. But it's also glorious. Because when God does change you, A, you experience more of the fullness of life. But B, you are more of a kind of presence of blessing to those around you. I remember when I was at college, and I could tell far too many stories that characterize this, but um, we did this thing um, when I was trained to be a vicar uh, where the, our formation tutor sort of sat with us and told us things that other people have thought, um, other, other staff. And, and she sat me down, and I was, I was ready to be um, congratulated as to what a wonderful human being I truly am. And I was very excited about this, and I sat down gingerly and, you know, with a smile on my face, and, and she said to me, she, um, well, she said a few things, but the two things that really stuck in my mind is she said, yeah, so the stuff I've been talking, and they've, um, they found you to be really prickly and aloof. I was like, what? And she went on and explained, and we, we talked about it, and I was devastated. 
people see me like that? I don't see me like that. People see me like that. Gosh. And I remember going away from that and just feeling gutted and, and just crying out to God and being like, God, what's all this about? I just feel like, you know, everyone's against me. What is this? Like, and, and it began this like, process, this long conversation with God that took a long time um, where he really just started to confront some stuff that was within me that I didn't even realize was going on. Um, that I didn't even realize was there. He started a process of pruning. Because actually what was going on at the time is I was um, finding college quite a lonely and insecu- uh, uh, environment because I was really insecure. And basically the reason I was insecure was because um, I found it hard to kind of connect with other people. And at the root of that was this kind of belief that people don't really want to be friends with me. And I hadn't really spotted that within myself, but, but God pointed that out to me. And then he started to kind of like draw me back to some things like going back years. You know, as a child, I grew up um, in this city. I grew up uh, near Trinity College, which is the Vicar Training School, for those who don't know. Um, and I lived next door to a Trinity College house. And, you know, people who come to train at Trinity come for two years, three years, and then they leave. And growing up, I'd had friends come, live next door to me for like three years and move away. Friends come, live next door to me, and then move away. I constantly was just basically like losing friends. In school, like I hit year nine and my friendship group changed, the classes changed, and I didn't really fit into one or the other, like people left me. Like when I was in year 11, my best friend left school and we kind of drifted apart, and it was again like people leaving me. And I hadn't realized it, I'd never thought about it, but it actually affected me it, on, a, on a kind of completely like, um, you know, an unconscious level, I'd started to believe that people don't really want to be friends with me. And I started to live out of that place. And, and, and basically, it made me quite insecure and, and maybe then push people away. And it therefore made me come across as someone who was quite prickly and aloof. And through going throughout the process, God just started to just correct some of the rubbish that I believed about myself and heal some of the pains from my past about that and, and help me become a little bit more secure in who I was and, and believe that lie that people don't want to be friends with me that little bit less. And I'd love to stand here and say, and that's all sorted. Like, but it's not. You know, That's still something that every now and then is an insecurity that pipes up and nags at me and like God's got to deal with. But Jesus wants to do a work of deep formation in our lives, a work of transformation. You know, I think I said it last week, but the word transformation in the scriptures is the um, Greek word uh, that sounds a bit like metamorphosis because it's actually where we get our word metamorphosis from. Um, and it's a, a word metanoia. And, and it, you know, that's the word that God chooses to say, that's the kind of transformation I want to do in you. It's, you know, caterpillar to butterfly. That's the kind of life he wants to bring about in us. You know, we, we think we're like, where we are now is pretty good, but Jesus has so much more for us. So much more for all of us. So much more life, fullness, joy, peace. He wants to bring that for our blessing, and he wants to bring that for the blessing of others. And so this is something we really want to value as a church, helping one another to engage with God in a work of deep formation so that we might become full to the fullness of life and so that we might become the kind of people who can be a presence of renewal in this world, a presence of hope, a presence of light, a presence of joy, a presence of love, ever increasingly. And this is a journey, not a destination. It's not so much whether you're here or there. It's, it's what direction you're traveling in that matters. But we want to help one another, equip one another to engage in this together as his people in this place. The third value I want to share today um, 
is, um, if I'm, I'll read a few words of scripture first and I'll share it. So um, in the passage we just had read, Jesus says this. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are no longer my friends if you do what I, uh, you are my friends, sorry, if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I made known to you. He goes on, and at, his, at the end of this, he says this. This is my command. Love each other. Love each other. Our third value, and I'll explain why, is, is this. It's, it's courageous vulnerability. Courageous vulnerability. You know, what is vulnerability? Vulnerability is that place of risk, uncertainty, and emotional exposure where you let the mask that we all wear, you know, we all wear masks the whole time. We, we want to project a vision of ourselves as these together, competent, like, sorted people. But the reality is that actually we do silly things. We're, we're pretty incompetent in certain areas. We, you know, we've got our failings. You know, we're, we're a mix. We're a mix of kind of saint and sinner. But we don't want that. We want to project a kind of vision of, of, of saint. We don't want anyone to see that there's a bit of mess within ourselves. That, that's uncomfortable. That's embarrassing. And so we put these masks on. We create these kind of like pictures. And, and, and vulnerability, what it's about is it's about letting people see the real you. And the reason why vulnerability is essential is because vulnerability is the only way in which you can have love. You know, if you think of any significant relationship in your life, where there is profound, deep love for one another. It comes from the place of vulnerability, from the place of being real. Because you can't love a, an acted or projected version of someone. You can only love the real person. Vulnerability is when we kind of pull back the curtain and allow people to see who we really are. And it's in that place that we can love one another. But that is deeply scary. Because there is a risk. When I share of myself something that's within me, a fear or an anxiety or you know, a, a deficiency in my character, it's a risk because I'm exposing myself. Like People could laugh at me because of that. They could just dismiss me. You know, I don't know what they're going to do with it. It's a risk, but it's an incredibly powerful thing when it's practiced well. You know, vulnerability opens people up. Like it's, it's like an invitation. Whenever someone's honest with you, it, it kind of opens you up to be honest with them, and there's a depth of relationship that happens in that place. And, and I think there's three ways in which we need to value this and want to see this practiced in our life as the people of God in this place. And the first is we, we need to be courageously vulnerable with God. I know that sounds ridiculous. God knows everything, right? He knows the deepest, darkest parts of ourselves. But I think we can try to want to present a sort of sanitized version of ourselves to God. We can kind of want to hold back from him because we're a bit worried that he's going to be disappointed. We're a bit worried of how he's going to react. But we need to be courageously vulnerable with him. of just real about, this is the fear I have. I'm not really sure whether I even believe in you. I don't know what I think about this. I'm, I'm, I'm really scared about you know, what's going on over here. Like we need to be real and vulnerable with God. We need to recognize our need for him. We need him so much. It can be so easy to try to pretend we don't really need him that much, but we need him so much. So we've got to be courageously vulnerable with God. But we've also got to be courageously vulnerable with one another. 
if we want to grow, if we want to be people who encourage one another in deep formation, we can't do that and kind of skim on relationships. We've got to have people, and, and, and this isn't like everyone's got to be like really deeply vulnerable with everyone. That's oversharing. That's weird. Like, but what this is about is we've got to have some relationships in the context of this family that is this church where we can do that, where we can be real, where we can be honest, where we can, because that's the place in which we can then journey together, help one another in this practice of deep formation, help one another be people who walk with Jesus, who know him ever more every day. The third way in which I think we need to be courageously vulnerable is we need to, we need to find ways to be courageously vulnerable with people who aren't part of the family of the church here. You know, if we're inviting someone to come to know Jesus, that's an incredibly vulnerable thing we're inviting them to do. We're inviting people to trust someone they've never met, don't know, um, who, and it's always a step of faith because you can no more emphatically prove God than you can emphatically disprove him. And so it's always a step of faith for inviting people to take. They might look silly. It might be there's nothing there. And, and you know, we're inviting people to express a need, a kind of deficiency in themselves, which they need God. Like, that's an incredibly vulnerable thing we're inviting people into. If we're not willing to be vulnerable with our friends and open, how can we expect them to be vulnerable in return? It could be that actually, you know, us sharing about a pain that we've experienced in our life and a way in which maybe God has come and helped us in that, even though he's not completely sorted it, even though it's still a bit messy, that could just be the thing that opens the doorway up to a conversation where we could help someone else navigate their place of pain, where we could help someone else and pray for them in their place of pain. Vulnerability begets vulnerability. And so these three values, we've got three more next week, but I just really feel are just so, so fundamental. Like, if we will like, hold these things at the center of who we are as a community, as individuals, being with Jesus, practicing deep formation, and being courageously vulnerable, I think we will see us slowly grow ever more into our mission as a church and we will ever increasingly become a blessing to the people around us because that's who God's called us to be. He's called us to be a light in this world and we want to shine bright into the dark places. We want to see people come to know him, experience his love and have their lives totally transformed and with him we can see it happen. Shall we pray? Do you want to come to